Well, good morning, faith family. Hey, it's good to see you. You don't even need a sermon now. Just go sign up, right? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 will be our text this morning. We are taking a break from our Illusion series, and we'll be back on that next week. Uh, this morning is uh, Connect Groups weekend, and so I'm excited to be able to share with you uh, from God's Word here in Colossians 3 on the importance of biblical community. And so if you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Uh, our Scripture passage that we'll read from this morning uh, we'll start with verse 12, Colossians 3, verse 12. And Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiveness in your heart, thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You so much for the privilege this morning to worship together of being in a faith family. Uh, Lord, we know that um, the purchase that it required to bring us together was great. And we, we rest this morning in that grace. We rejoice in it. And pray, Lord, that you'd work now in our hearts to see the benefits all around us of being with one another. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's not often that I'm speechless, right? Nothing there? That, I figured that'd get something, you know? It's not often that I'm speechless, but I was that night. Several years ago, I'm flipping through the TV channels on basic cable, and I come across a program that was disturbing on many, many levels. It was a call-in talk show hosted by this like 80-year-old woman giving advice. Only she wasn't giving advice on how to bake a cake or how to make a quilt. This sweet grandmother-looking figure was giving advice about sex. It's called Sex Talk with Sue. And when I first saw that, like my, I w my reaction was I was just shocked. I couldn't believe that it was even on basic cable. And then I couldn't believe that people would actually call in. But they did. And what I began to realize is that these people who were calling in, they weren't freaks. They weren't trying to be dirty. They weren't perverted. They were searching. They wanted somebody, anybody, even a TV talk show host, to be able to look at them and say, you're normal. 
They wanted to be able to take some of the most deepest, intimate issues of their life and have somebody tell them, you're not alone in this. And I thought about, you know, that's, that's true for every single one of us. Listen, every one of us, when it comes to our struggle, whether that is sexual or financial or, or spiritual, when it comes to our struggle, our issue, our likes, our dislikes, nobody wants to feel alone. Everyone in this room, whether you realize it or not, is searching for community. And you see this around you all the time. It's why you have people that are constantly identifying themselves with certain groups. You know, Elvis fans. 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. You got political rallies where people come together with this common conviction or or principles that they share. You have Star Wars conventions where a bunch of nerds, I mean a bunch of... uh, sophisticated people (laughs) dress up like their favorite character and they come together. You have men who who get together at the barber shop and they talk about fishing and hunting. And you've got women who get together at the beauty shop and talk about whatever it is you talk about. (laughs) I'm not going there. You have people who say they hate groups So they form a group to be anti-group. You have the explosion of social networking. Facebook friends, Twitter followers. And you look around you and you see everywhere the neighborhood bar. That's because after all... Wouldn't you like to get away? Now, you'll be humming that all day long, and you're welcome. That resonates when you think about those lyrics. Their troubles are all the same. Where they know your name, and they're always glad you came. In fact, evangelical pastor Chuck Swindoll says this, the neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship Christ wants to give His church. It's an imitation. Dispensing liquor instead of grace. Escape rather than reality. But it is a permissive, accepting, inclusive fellowship. You can tell people secrets and they usually don't tell others. The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known, love and be loved. And that's why so many people seek a counterfeit. My point, Berean, is this. You and I were created in the triune image of God. God. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God in eternal community. We are created in that image, and that's why we long to belong. That's why we want to be accepted. It's why every one of us, in some way or another, wants authentic relationships. But the truth is, you and I were made for more than a barbershop conversation. We were made for biblical community. And it's not just how you're wired. Your holiness, if you're a follower of Jesus, depends on it. Notice Paul's concern here for these Colossians, this concern of spiritual growth, verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, that is the things of the world, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Look at verse 8. You must put them all away. I think if Paul had cap locks, he'd be all caps. Put it away. Get rid of it. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that, here it is again, you have put off the old self with its practices. Listen, dear friends, Paul is saying there are things in your life that shouldn't be there. Anybody relate? I bet we can. There are attitudes we have, thoughts we think, behaviors that we do that aren't pleasing to God. And that's not a condemning statement. That's just true. Nobody in this room has arrived and is perfect. And if you say you are perfect, just repent of your lying. Paul says, put these things off. Man, listen, you're, you're a follower of Jesus, and there are things in your life that shouldn't be there. Get rid of it. But not just put off. Notice what he says in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In other words, it's not only that there are things in your life that shouldn't be there, but there are things that should be in your life that you need to cultivate. You need, you need to incorporate into your life. But Paul understands that this is an ongoing process. This isn't like, you know, memorize a verse of Scripture and call me in the morning. It's an ongoing thing. Verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is a journey. It's an ongoing process. It's a, you are a work in progress. But Paul's concern here for the Colossians is grow. Grow into the image of your Creator. Be like Jesus by putting off those things that shouldn't be there and putting on those things that should be. It's the big word that we use in church. And if you're new to church, you're just kind of checking this thing out. Don't worry about big theological words. It's sanctification. Wayne Grudem defines sanctification this way. It's the progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin, put off, and like Christ, put on, in our actual lives. So think of it this way. This is great news. This is gospel news. When you said, Jesus, I surrender, 
I'm not living my way anymore. I trust you as my Savior and Lord. At that very moment, you became the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's pretty awesome. God looks at you and He's pleased with you, therefore having peace with God by faith. There's no condemnation. We're the very righteousness of God. That's who we are, but that's not what we always do, is it? And so this idea of sanctification is that I want what I do to line up with who I am. Let me say it this way. What you do is not who you are. That's awesome news. What you do is not who you are. You're struggling in this battle with sin. There are things that you need to put off and things you need to put on. But what you do is not who you are. Paul will even say in verse 12, put on these things holy and beloved. That's who you are. What you do is not who you are, but when you know who you are, oh, brother, that's going to impact what you do. When you know the work of Jesus in your life, you want that to line up with your identity before God. That's what Paul is writing about here. He's saying, grow in godliness. And that's why the New Testament and almost like every page you turn to is emphasizing spiritual growth. Grow up. 1 Timothy 4, train yourself for godliness. Ephesians 4, we're to no longer be children, but to grow up. Philippians 3, we're to press and strive to know Christ more. 1 Thessalonians 4, you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? This is God's will, your sanctification, to look more like Jesus. That's what He wants. Romans 6, sin is not to have dominion in your life. 1 Peter 2, long for pure milk that you'll grow up in salvation. Hebrews 6, leave the elementary things and go on to maturity. You get the point? It's everywhere. The call of the Christian life, the goal of the Christian life is to look like Jesus. By the way, it's why I preach the way I do. You know, I mean, like I've told you many times, we're not, I'm not here to play patty cake with you. This Christian life's too serious. I mean, it's fun and we laugh and it's awesome and it's joyful, but there's a goal. It's a race. It's a striving and we're training for it. When, when Picasso was a young painter, when he was a young man, he, he painted things of what was known as realism. And he had the opportunity one time to, to paint a portrait of a lady named Gertrude Stein. Gertrude Stein. It's a pretty famous story if you know Picasso. Now, when he, when he painted this, this portrait of her, he, he painted her as an older woman. In fact, here's a picture of the painting that he drew. Now, when, when when this was painted, she was a young, young, young lady. And so when she saw this, her immediate response was, that's not me. I don't look like that. And Picasso said, no, but you will. <laughs> Just as aging is a natural part of life, godliness is to be a natural part of being born again. You may not look like that now. 
You may not fully look like Jesus right now, but you will. You will. Isn't that awesome? By the work of the Spirit, by your striving, by the work of the Word in your life, there is a portrait of what you will look like one day. And that's our goal, is to run towards that. Are you with me? So if, if, if this is the driving passion for Paul and the life of the Colossians, shouldn't it be for us? Shouldn't growing in our walk with the Lord be a priority? And if you say yes, and you should, by the way, hold that thought. Paul moves from the concern of spiritual growth now to, to what we might call the content. Like, what, what is it uh, that does it? Verse uh, 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body. Verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I want to camp on that phrase right there, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does it mean that the Word of Christ dwells in you? The, the goal, the concern is spiritual growth. What's the content that does it? It's the Word of Christ dwelling in you. Now, as many of you are aware, my family and I uh, moved here several months ago, the beginning of the year. Uh, we moved here to Minnesota, okay? Here's an actual picture of, of our move. Um, <laughs> It's more true than you know. Uh, wow. And so we moved here. And listen, if you've ever gone through a move or you've ever helped somebody move, like you know it is a test of sanctification. It's like if I can come out of this still holding fast to Christ, that is a spiritual victory, you know? And so, I mean, it's just it's so stressful and all the factors that take place. And I was thinking about this, you know, when you move somewhere, you move into a new home, you got all these boxes that are like crammed into the garage or they're crammed into a room or storage, and you got this empty house. All the old stuff's been taken out from the previous ownership. And what happens over the next few days, weeks, months, for some of you, 15 years, <laughs> is you start unpacking those boxes and moving those things into your home. Like you take over cabinets and living rooms and bathrooms and bedrooms and, and, and all the different areas of your home over time become fully occupied. Do you have that imagery in your mind? Now imagine that your life is a home. Here's what Paul is saying. The Word of Christ needs to dwell in every room, every cabinet, every corner, in the basement, in the attic, in the crawl space, and even the garage, if you want to grow in Christ. The Word of Christ, if we're going to grow, must take ownership in every room so that our life looks like a home where Jesus lives. That's what Paul's saying. And, and, and I'm afraid that we have the tendency sometimes to say, man, Jesus, welcome in. We're so glad that you're here. You know, we cleaned up the place. You know, I mean, after all, we have guests over and, and you're welcome to go to the living room and you're welcome to help yourself to the kitchen and anything you want to eat and just don't go in that room. <laughs> don't open the closet. You'll kill yourself, 
right? But there's this area of our life that we're saying, Jesus, that's off limits. It's mine. And the keys that I gave you, well, I gave you all but one. Because that's a room nobody's allowed to go in. You will not grow to look like Jesus if he doesn't have every room. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You can't say, I believe the Bible for salvation, but not for serving others. I believe the Bible for miracles, but not for giving money. I I believe the Bible for my doctrine, but not when I have to forgive somebody. I, I believe the Bible in good times, but not when my life is falling apart. Now, we're Berean Baptist Church. And I have learned over these past few months how, how that sense of, of we're Bereans, we study the Word, we love the Word, and boy, do I love that about us. But you show me somebody who believes in the inerrancy of Scripture, but does not want the Word of Christ dwelling in every room of their heart, I'll show you somebody who really doesn't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Because the inerrancy of Scripture is not about your doctrinal statement. It's about a transformed life. That's what Paul wants for these Colossians. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, heresy is not so much rejecting as selecting. The, The heretic simply selects the parts of Scripture he wants to emphasize and lets the rest go. That's pow- that'll preach right there. So, so our prayer, my prayer for us, and I know it's painful, but our prayer is just to say, Word of Christ, dwell. Every door, every cabinet has been opened. Come in and do your work. Now, pause. If I stopped here, we could say, okay, I get that the concern is spiritual growth. Put on, put off. It's an ongoing process. And that the Word of Christ needs to dwell in me richly. The the transforming work of the Word, it's a two-edged sword. So, I got it, Pastor. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to download more sermons. I'm going to memorize more Scripture. I'm going to start attending more Bible studies. And I'd say, well, that's awesome. I I wouldn't be down on any of that. But it is interesting that that's not what Paul says. Notice the context in which the Word of Christ dwells and spiritual growth happens. Verse 13. Bearing with one another. Ugh! (laughs) It'd have been so much easier if Paul would have just said, memorize Psalm 1. But he says, no. The work of the Word takes place in your life with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above these things, above all, put these things, put on love, I'll get it right, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, notice this phrase, in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In other words, the, the, the context here of this spiritual growth is in relationship. Or let me put it this way, your holiness is a group project. My godliness, my becoming more like Jesus is something I can't do by myself. It assumes community. It assumes relationship. You can't fix you. And neither can your spouse, for that matter. Amen? <laughs> you can't fix you, and that's why God gave you His people. He gave you the church. Because to become like Jesus, it happens through the body of Jesus, through the bride of Jesus, by being in relationship with one another. This spiritual growth, this gospel growth of the Word working in our life happens in biblical community because you can't do any of this love, forgive, or be kind alone. No, and I'm so glad that you're here. Like I look around, there's not hardly a seat open in this place. I mean, I love that you're here, but it can't happen in a worship service. As important as this is, it happens when you know and you're known and you love and you're loved. It happens in deep relationships. And that's why small groups is a priority here at Berean. Now, you got to hear me on this. Hear your pastor's heart. Not because it's a church program. Forget that. It's because your spiritual growth is at stake. I don't give a hoot about church programs. Ultimately, I care about our growth in godliness. I care about our looking more like Jesus. And so the reason that we even have a program is to intentionally get you in relationships that you need to be in so that we will grow together in this journey of faith. So I'm going to close by just giving you three benefits of being in biblical community from the text, why you need this one another in your life. The first is biblical application. Look at verse 12. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, on, 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 on. You ready to go deep? I mean, theological light bulb, ding. Do you know what? You know what Paul intends when he says, put on these things? That they'll do it. I know that was really deep, right? It was worth what you paid to get in here this morning just to hear that. Put on means put on. Paul's not saying, hey, Colossians, here's your little Bible memory verse for the week. Memorize it. He's saying, do it. Live it. James 1, don't be a hearer of the Word only. Be a doer of the Word. Put it on. And, and, and that's so hard to do alone. So one of the reasons that you need this one another that Paul's talking about is because 
putting the things on that you need to put on won't happen in isolation. It happens in biblical community when people are there to help you apply. Uh, Paul Tripp says it this way. This is such a great quote. He says, the reality of spiritual blindness has important implications for the Christian community. I need you to really see and know myself. I love this. Otherwise, I'll listen to my own arguments, believe my own lies, and buy into my own delusions. This next phrase, my self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. If I'm going to see myself clearly, I need you to hold the mirror of God's Word in front of me. You don't put on alone. So one of the benefits is biblical application. Number two is personal accountability. Look at verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then notice the phrase, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In other words, you need people that will get in your grill. Who love you, committed to you. They're not about to let you fall. But they will tell you not what you want to hear. They'll tell you what you need to hear because they are in this for your growth as well. Teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom. That's what we need. We need that personal accountability in our lives. It's like the, the, the California redwoods. If you've ever gone to see the redwood trees, these things are beautiful. I mean, they're like 300 feet tall and, and hundreds of years old. And I mean, you look at these things and it's just like, man, I want to I be that kind of Christian, Right? I want to be a a redwood. Well, you would think that because they're so tall, they're so old, that they they would have really deep, deep roots, but they don't. Do you know how with their shallow root system, they're able to stand when the storms come? Those roots, though shallow, are intertwined. They're all connected. They don't stand because you've been Christian for 50 years. I memorized all the Psalms. They stand because they're in relationship with one another. Their lives are interwoven together. So when the temptation comes, when the the suffering comes, when the good times and joy come, someone's with you every step of the way. Ecclesiastes says it this way, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Friends, we need this kind of accountability in our lives if we're going to grow to be more like Jesus. It's like Jackie Robinson, first African-American baseball player, when he would travel around. If you've seen the movie 42, if not, it's a good movie. He would travel around and he would face ridicule everywhere he went. People mocked him. And in one particular game, I believe it was in Cincinnati, he makes an error and they are on his case. Something awful. Shortstop, Pee Wee Reese. It's his hometown. It's his home fans. It's where he grew up walks over and in a very famous scene, in a famous 
point in Jackie Robinson's life, puts his arm around Jackie Robinson, and they just stand there. And the crowd is quiet. And then they go on about playing baseball. But later, Jackie Robinson would say that that arm around his shoulder saved his career. There are some of you in this room, you need that Christian arm around your shoulder to save your marriage, to rejoice with you, to weep with you, to know you're not alone. You're not alone. The last benefit of biblical community is what I want to call gospel participation. And we'll end with this. I take it from verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I know how you think. (laughs) Scary, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's what I'd think. I'd do this. If it weren't for people. People are weird. They're sinners. They have personality quirks and strange behaviors. And I was going to say something else. They... You don't understand. Uh, To love people like this, to open myself up, and to really know other people would mean I'd have to sacrifice myself. Which sounds a whole lot like what Jesus did for you. Go down there? They're sinners. They're weird. They don't act the way they're supposed to act. But for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Biblical community is a participation in the gospel we say we believe. Because it moves us past just sermons about it into the practice of it. Put on love, which binds all things together in harmony. And there are numerous reasons why today you would say, this is not for me. Individualism, I'll figure it out on my own. How's that working for you? Really. Pride, I don't need any help. Fear, I'm afraid to be known. I've been hurt in the past. Priority, I'm too busy. Really? This is your sanctification we're talking about. That's probably something you want to make time for. Amen? And lastly, tradition. We've never done it that way before. To which I say, whatever. (laughs) 
I don't even care. Because I'm not in this for your tradition. We're in this for our holiness. And in a world that is longing for acceptance and desperately, desperately wants to belong, and they are looking in all the wrong places, God is calling us, faith family, to something more. A place where we get advice, but it's better than sex talk with Sue. A place where we find friends, but it's beyond a computer screen and the click of a mouse. A place where somebody knows your name and they're always glad you came. But it's not a bar. It's a community where the Word of God dwells. Let's pray. Father, thank You for uh, Your Word. Oh, wow. So convicting in my own life. Uh, the call to spiritual growth, the Word of Christ working in us, and that happening in the context of community, of relationships. And um, I know there are men and women here um, in this service who probably have a lot of excuses as to why they can't. I pray that your spirit would just break through those walls right now. Help us see why this matters. Whatever the format, whatever the structure may be, we, we have to have this in our life to be growing in Jesus. So direct our steps now specifically with what you want us to do, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.